You know, this is uh, such an important theme uh, this morning, and today we're going to take communion at the end of our time together, so I've got to dive straight into it because there's such a lot uh, that we need to cover. But in the book of Isaiah, which is this uh, prophetic book written hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus, the verse that we've been looking at is taken from Isaiah, Isaiah 9 verse 6. But there is another little verse in Isaiah, chapter 26 verse 3. It's one of my favourite verses in the Bible. And it says, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. So just hold it there for a minute. You will keep in perfect peace. Just for a moment, can you imagine perfect peace? Could you imagine a world that's at perfect peace? Could you imagine people that are at perfect peace? Could you imagine your own family that's at perfect peace? Perfect peace, no discord, no anxiety, no frustration, no disappointment, no conflict, no pain, no shame, no guilt, no fear. Could you imagine? The Bible says you will keep in this state of perfection, almost perfect peace, all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. And we're going to come back to this verse right at the end of the talk. We're going to kind of start here. We're going to travel out and we're going to come back and land on that verse. Perfect peace. Can you imagine perfect peace? Can you imagine you being at perfect peace with yourself? Could you imagine being at peace with how you look? Being at peace with your body shape? Hello? Anyone still there? You know, it's staggering to me how, you know, obviously, you know, I travel a fair bit. And over the last eight years, I've found myself out in Southeast Asia a few times, in Singapore and in Malaysia. And it's, it's fascinating to me that when I go there into that culture and the culture which I love, there are so many dark-skinned people there who want to be light-skinned. There are so many dark brown-eyed people who want to be blue-eyed. And yet when I'm in this culture, there are so many fair-skinned people who want to be dark-skinned and blue-eyed people who want to be dark-eyed. It's like we're not content with who we are. We're not at peace with who we are. We're not at peace with our body shape. Do you know that over the Christmas season, the average person will put on six pounds? How do you know that many of us are not average? We're way above average. And so we're going to put on way above six pounds. But I've got some incredible news for you this morning. Listen to these things. These are true for you over Christmas. If you eat something no one sees, it has no calories. Can I hear an amen here this morning? Drinks used for medicinal purposes never count, e.g. mulled wine, sherry and brandy. Things licked off spoons have no calories. (laughs) And the last one, foods with similar colourings have the same amount of calories, e.g. turkey and white chocolate. I wish that were the case. We're not at peace with how we look. We're not at peace with who we are and what we've got. If I was to say to you, would, would, is there anything that you could have that would make you more content than you are right now? And the answer for most of us probably would be yes. Because we're not at peace with ourselves. Are you at peace with everybody in your life, in your workplace, in your family, in your marriage? in your church, in your community? Are we at peace? Can you imagine perfect peace? Can you imagine a world that's at perfect peace? You can go on to the next slide there, um, Hannah. Can you imagine a world that's at perfect peace? I I don't know about you, but I can't. 
You know, in all of recorded civilization, there's only been 300 years where there's been no conflict recorded in all of civilization. So thousands and thousands of years, there's only 300 where there's been no conflict. We live in a world that's not at peace. Can you imagine the planes that drop bombs on nations dropping food parcels instead? Or the aircraft carriers where these planes that carry death and destruction, instead of launching them, these aircraft carriers become floating hospitals. Or people who sit around tables strategizing how to beat the enemy at war are strategizing how to create peace academies for the good of human beings. Could you imagine that? It's hard to imagine. You know, the Bible uses a word in the Hebrew in the Old Testament for peace. It's the word shalom. And many of you will have heard shalom. It's like a greeting, shalom. It's very hard to actually understand what shalom really means. Um, Here's some words that it means. It's bigger than this. It means completeness, wholeness, health, peace, welfare, safety, soundness, tranquility, prosperity, fullness, rest, harmony, the absence of agitation or discord, and finally, perfectness. That's some of what shalom means. And I don't know about you, but I want to access some of that, don't you? Don't you want some of that in your life? How do we access some shalom? How do we access perfect peace? Well, may, maybe there's something in the, in the Advent calendar. There's, there's a gift here. Maybe, maybe peace is a gift from God. Actually, it is. But here's my thought for you this morning. It's not about a present. It's all about a presence. It is a gift of God, but it's not about a present that you can put a bow on. It's about the presence of a person. And of course, his name is Jesus, the wonderful counsellor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. That's the verse that we looked at. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. Say it with me. And he will be called. Hang on. Say it like you really mean it. And he will be called. That's woke half of you up, that has right there. But you know, in the Christmas story that we're going to think about over the next few weeks, uh, it says in Luke 2, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace. Shalom to those on whom his favour rests. And this morning I, I, was, I was going over my talk again and I, and I found this in a commentary. It said this, when one Jew greeted another with the word shalom, it didn't mean have a nice day. It meant may all that you need for your well-being come to you this day. That's shalom. That's amazing. And this child, this prince of peace, he goes on to say, is the well-being authority. We hear a lot about health and well-being in our culture, don't we? If you really want shalom, you must come to him, for he is the one divinely ordained to give it. And after the first service, someone came to me and said uh, something else about shalom is that when people are gr- greet each other uh, in the Jewish culture with the word shalom, it, it kind of also has another meaning. It, it literally means, if there's anything I have that would help you be at peace, it's yours. That's powerful, isn't it? If there's anything I have or possess that would help you be at peace, that would help your well-being, it's yours. Wow. I want you to know, if you want to know peace in your life, and this is a bold statement, I don't believe you can ever truly find it outside of a relationship with the Prince of Peace. 
Because He's the one who's come to say, hey, I'm God and anything I have that could help you and your well-being is yours. Wow. And so my question today is how can we know and how can we receive this peace? And there are two things I want to focus on. You see, because of Jesus, we can know, firstly, peace with God. Some of you who are older will remember a gentleman by the name of Terry Waite. Anyone remember Terry Waite? In the late 80s, Terry Waite, who was a, a, a peace envoy, an ambassador, a negotiator, working for the Church of England, went to Lebanon, uh, in, Be- uh, in Beirut in Lebanon, to, to, to help people and was taken captive and was held as a hostage for well over four years. Chained, I think, to radiators and all kinds of stuff. He said this. He said, They could take away my freedom. They could take away my physical well-being. But the one thing they could not take away was my soul. Because I have peace with God. That's powerful, isn't it? You can do anything you like. Anything you like. You cannot take away peace with God. And Jesus has made this peace with God possible. How? Firstly, by making the connection. I love this little story. Billy Graham, who was a famous uh, American evangelist, well into his late 90s now. But when he was younger and he was out with his, with his little lad, uh, they were out in a field somewhere and they trod accidentally on an anthill. And so they killed some of the ants and some of the ants were all running, uh, running. I don't know whether that's what they do, but scurrying around, holding their other little ants on their backs and all of this. And he was talking and then he had this thought and he said to his son, wouldn't it be great if we could become ants and go down there and tell them it was an accident and help them repair the damage? And then he thought to himself, this is exactly what God has done for us. He's made the connection. He's come down and connected with us and help us to repair the damage and brought this peace with him. But how does peace with God happen? And I'm going to ask my two assistants who helped me at the first service, Lee and Sean, if you'd come a little ripple of applause for these two guys. <laughs> a, few, a few years ago, I found this kind of framework for, uh, for, for, how, for how conflict works. And there's three stages to it. And I thought it was so helpful and so simple. So I want you to imagine two people who are close, okay? <laughs> Not too close, because I know that will get a little awkward for you. But they're close in relationship. Now, whenever there's conflict, okay, there are three stages, all right? The first thing that happens, okay, in terms of losing peace between two people is there's a disruption. Something happens between two people. There's a disruption of some sort, okay? And even Christian people have disruption between them. And often, a disruption often is a misunderstanding, isn't it? How many of you know family feuds that go on for years and years? Often when you say, well, how did that start? Nobody knows. But somewhere back in history, there was a disruption. That's the first stage. Now, stage two, then there will be movement and there'll be movement apart. And the two parties will move apart. And into that space will come a whole host of other things. What will happen is that thoughts will get into our head. You know, oh, he's a, such a so-and-so. And, you know, he did it. You know, he blanked me at church on Sunday. He really did. I wonder why he did that. And all of this happens. And then what happens is that the movement gets more entrenched, okay, apart from each other. And what happens is that the two people start talking to other people about the disruption. Not Christians. We don't do that. We just share it for prayer. All right. Yeah, we talk about it. And that's what we do. And then what happens is maybe one party turns their back completely on the other one. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. And this disruption has become a movement. And into the space there, the heart begins to get harder. 
the feelings get entrenched, the mind gets obsessed and paranoid, and then eventually both parties turn away. Disruption leads to movement, but here's the great news. Stage three is that somebody has to make a turn. And that's the phrase that I love. They make a turn. Somebody makes a turn and begins to reach out across this space where the movement has been and hopefully gets to the point of the original disruption and to look at that so that the relationship is restored. Thank you guys very much. I want you to know God has already made the turn for you and me. Isn't that amazing? You see, way back in time, way back in the Garden of Eden, there was a disruption between us and God. When God said, you've got all this stuff, you can have all of this stuff, just don't have that one. And we thought, yeah, but does he really know what he's talking about? And we listened to the enemy and we let all that get in and we did what we shouldn't have done. And that created a rift, that created a disruption. And God had to step back because now we had sin in our lives. And then we stepped back and we turned our back and the Bible says, and like sheep, we've all gone astray. We've all gone our own way. We headed out. But isn't this incredible that even though we were the cause of the disruption and we were the cause of the movement away, God made the turn. Don't you love that? God made the turn. And this is what the Bible says. And we'll put this verse up here because this is such an incredible verse. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God or that we tried to make the turn, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. This is why we can have peace with God. Isn't that incredible? And I want you to know we can have that peace with God. And if this morning you don't have that peace with God, you can have it. You can know God for yourself. You see, He's made the turn. The question is, have you? He's made the turn for you. The question is, have you made that turn? And have you accepted that gift of peace, that gift of salvation, that gift of relationship. If you haven't, guys, you can. We would love to talk to you about that this morning. But can I just say a little challenge? If you have accepted Him and you've made the turn and you're in relationship with Him, the Bible says there's one thing that you must do. That you must do. We're not usually as strong about this as I am this morning. But the Bible is clear that when you make that turn and you respond to him in relationship, you must get baptised. You really must. Because what baptism is about is it's, yes, it's about an inward decision, but it's also about a public declaration that you've made that turn and that you want to follow Jesus for the rest of your life. Now, some of you who have made that, and who haven't been baptised, I know that you struggle with the concept of baptism. Many senses, what I'm picking up is that many people, their biggest fear is speaking in front of other people. I understand that. Listen, we will help you with that. If that's the only thing stopping you, we'll take it away. There's other ways to do it. You can do it on media. You can write it down. Someone else can read it out. You don't need to do it at all. What you do need to do is to get baptised. And we have a baptism coming up in two weeks' time. Come and talk to us, okay? We would love to see that happen. It would be an incredible way for you to go into Christmas having made that commitment and having made that public declaration. And what an incredible witness to your family and friends that just before Christmas you say, hey, I want you all to know that I have made an inward decision, but now I want to make a public declaration that I've made the turn and have accepted Christ and I have peace with God. Wouldn't that be amazing? So secondly, we have peace with God. But secondly, because of Jesus, we can also know the peace of God. It's different. The peace of God. 
Listen, John 14, verse 27, Jesus says, I'm leaving you with a gift. See, here we go. I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. There is a gift of God, but it's not a present. It's the presence of Jesus in our lives. And we're going to unpack that. How do we lose our peace? Anyone here ever lost their peace? Anyone? Come on. Just me. No, no, you're all lying. Those of you haven't put your hands up. You know, and I thought about this this week. How do I lose my peace? And I kind of had this thought. I think I lose my peace in three, of three areas. When I feel overwhelmed, when I feel out of options, or when I feel unable to control the outcome. I don't know whether I'm unique in that. When I feel overwhelmed, when I feel out of options, or when I feel unable to control the outcome. So last weekend, I was in Canada. It's a terrible job, but someone's got to do it. Uh, I was speaking at a few events out there, and I've never been to this part, that part of the world. And I was staying with some friends, so, and some of you will know them, that, that David and Valbona Panoya, the guys that for 20 years were in Albania as missionaries. They live in Canada now. He's Canadian. So I spent the, week, uh, the weekend with them. I was doing some events for them, raising money for the work in Albania. And uh, I stayed in, in the basement of their house because North American houses, many of them have these incredible basements. This wasn't like a basement, all right? It was like a house underneath the floor, okay? There, were, there was a, a storeroom, there was a bedroom, there was a bathroom, there was a living room, and I had the whole thing to myself, and it was great. On the first night when I got there, on a Wednesday, I was really tired, hadn't slept on the plane, it was late, uh, and I thought, oh, I just need to go to bed. So I went to bed. I hadn't noticed the storeroom at all. I just noticed the bedroom, bathroom, living, living area. So I went into the bedroom, uh, went to sleep, blah, 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 straight out like a light. Woke up in the night, needed to go to the bathroom. Men of a certain age do. And uh, there you go. And, and, and so I walked out. But here's the thing. In a basement, it's pitch black. It's pitch black. But I thought, that's all right, I know where the bathroom is. So I got into the bathroom, switched the light on, did what I needed to do, uh, switched the light off, opened the door, it's pitch black. I said, all right, there's only one other room, the bedroom. So I went into what I thought was the bedroom. It wasn't the bedroom. And as I went into what I thought was the bedroom, which wasn't the bedroom, I shut the door behind me, I couldn't see a thing. So I'm looking for the light switch, which was here on the left, and I'm like, like it's not here. Like it was here two minutes ago, and now it's not here. So I think, where's the light switch? I thought, oh, all right. I know that the bed's right in front of me. I walk forward and I hit and fall into something which is cold, hard and metallic and very big. It's not a bed. That, that's that, I've deduced that because I'm clever like that. I'm thinking, it's not a bed. So then I backed up and I thought, where on it? And then there's some other things. And I'm like, ooh, do you know what it's like when it's pitch black? You put your hand in front of you. You don't know what you're going to walk into. So I think, I'm just going to get out of here. I cannot find the handle to the door. So literally, I'm so disoriented. I'm so tired. I'm walking around in circles in the middle. I'm overwhelmed. I'm feeling like I'm running out of options and I'm, not on, I'm unable to control the outcome. I lost my peace. And then at one moment, I thought, do you know what? All I can do is to sit down on the floor and wait till the morning. And finally, I found the handle and came out, switched the lights on, and it's a jolly cupboard with a big fridge freezer in the middle of it. Okay, that's what it is. It's a storeroom. And it was all fine. But that moment of just feeling locked in, Unable to get the light on, unable to find out where the next step is. How many of us feel like that in life? That's where we lose our peace, isn't it? We just can't get the handle to get out. We just can't get the light on. We just don't know what the obstacles are. We feel overwhelmed, out of options, and unable to control the outcome. That's when we lose our peace. Mark chapter 4. There's an incredible story where these fishermen who are used to seas and they're used to the Sea of Galilee. 
They really are. And they're out there on a boat. And Jesus is asleep in the boat when the Bible says a furious squall or storm whips up. It's so bad that these experienced fishermen are in fear for their lives. This is what it says. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. How annoying is that? When you're in fear for your life, here's Jesus, the creator, asleep. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, or in some translations, Peace, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. Here's a thought. Next one, Hannah. Peace is not finding a lake with no storms. It's having Jesus in your boat. Great quote, John Otbo. Peace is not finding a lake with no storms. Because they're in Denny. Peace is having Jesus in your boat. And this is what I want to share with you this morning. If you need peace, you can have it if Jesus is in your boat. Because not, when you have peace with God, when you make that turn and you accept the turn that Jesus, God has made, when you have peace with God, now Jesus is in your boat, you can know the peace of God, which is a gift. And it's the gift of his presence. How do we access this? Firstly, be still. Be still. You know, one of the things for me in that room was I had to just to be still, just be calm and then find the handle. But the more you get panicky, the more you overthink, the more you try and do stuff, the worse it gets, isn't it? The peace doesn't come, the peace just, it just goes even more. Be still. And there's a famous psalm in Psalm 46 where we get the line, be still and know that I am God. And it's such a brilliant psalm. But it's even more powerful when you understand the background. You see, 700 years before the coming of Christ, Sennacherib, the general leader of the Assyrian army, lays siege to Jerusalem, the capital of Judah at the time. And they, are so, they, they, they wrap the city up. They, they, they contain the city. It goes on for months and months. They are so brutal that they get skulls of human heads in a pyramid outside the city gates so that when the people in Jerusalem wake up in the morning, their first view as they look over the walls is, they, is a pyramid of human skulls. This is how bad these guys are. And yet in the midst of all that, God comes through. And the people dis, uh, receive an incredible deliverance from this enemy. And then they go to write this psalm. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. God is in this boat. The Prince of Peace is within her. That's what it says. And then he goes on to say, be still and know that I am God. Listen, the first thing you need to do if you need peace is to be still. Secondly, you then need to be fixed. You need to fix on Him. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. You know, when you're overwhelmed, when you're out of options, when you're unable to control the outcome, be still and then be fixed on Him, the Prince of Peace. You know, when you're unable to control the outcomes, when you are out of options, you need to fix your eyes on the one who has overcome. The one who has all the options because He holds all the keys. And the one who's destroyed the ultimate outcome, death itself. That's where I want to fix my eyes on, isn't it you? 
Because actually, he's got all the cards anyway. He holds the keys. So when I'm out of options, I'm going to focus on him who holds the keys. When I'm not sure of the outcome, I'm going to focus on him because he's destroyed the ultimate outcome, death itself. And I want to say, as we wrap up this morning, maybe for some of you here, you need to have peace with God. Maybe that's what you need this morning. Maybe you're not yet a Christian. You know maybe now that God has made the turn, but you need to make the turn and accept His offer, His gift of salvation. You can have peace with God today. But maybe for many of you here in this room or watching or listening, maybe for you, you you know you have peace with God, but you need the gift of peace. You need the peace of God right now. You can have that as well. Maybe be still and be fixed on Him and invite Him. Maybe wake Him up in your boat, you know. Maybe you've just let Him fall asleep. Maybe you need to wake Him up so that He can speak peace into your storm. Here's a third thought. Maybe for some of us, we know there's someone in our life and there's a disruption come and there's movement come. Maybe we're the one that needs to make the turn. Just a thought. So I want us just to close our eyes for a moment. And if this morning, anyone here or watching or listening and you need to know peace with God or you need to know the peace of God this morning, I would love to pray for you today. So if that's you, I just want to ask you just to lift your hand as a way of signaling to God and so that you would know and I would see that you need that gift this morning. And I want to just pray for you. And even in you just reaching out, believe that God is coming and bringing that peace. Thank you guys over here. Anybody else? Thank you, Jesus. Father, we just pray for these hands that are up all around this place. Lord, let your peace come, I pray. Let your peace fill this place. Let your peace fill hearts and lives. Holy Spirit, would you, as it were, wake up in their boat, Jesus. And would you speak to that storm? God, I pray that they would know the shalom of God. That, that, that you say, God, everything, anything I have, anything I have that would help you have peace is yours. What an incredible promise, God. And Lord, I pray for these people this morning who are reaching out to you. May they receive your peace in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Guys, we're going to take communion together now. And um, what's going to happen is the servers are going to go. And right now, if they can, thank you guys. And they're going to start handing out to you the bread and the juice. And this speaks of what Jesus has done. This is how God has made the turn. By sending Jesus, His only Son, as a baby, but who grew up to be a man, who lived the perfect life, and then who died a death that He shouldn't have died, but He did it for you and for me. And we celebrate that in this very simple act of communion. And the bread speaks of the body of Jesus that was broken on the cross, ripped apart for us. And the, and the juice speaks of the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. So guys, if you can come and give it out now, please, that would be great. And, and what I'm going to ask you guys is if you hold on to the bread and hold on to the cup, and then we'll eat and we'll drink it together. But while we're doing that, I want to read some Scripture to you. Because I want us just to meditate a little bit, okay, in, in this atmosphere and before we eat and drink. And just remind ourselves why we're doing this today. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, But now you've been united with Christ Jesus. See that, that picture? Disruption, movement, made the turn. Now you've been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to Him through the blood of Christ. 
For Christ Himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in His own body on the cross, He broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. In other words, He made the turn. He made the turn. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in Himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of His death on the cross. And our hostility towards each other was put to death. Listen to that. Our hostility towards each other. Listen, if you're a Christian this morning, we should not have hostility towards anybody else. I'm not saying we're not upset. I'm not saying we're not, we're not in bad relationship. I'm saying we shouldn't have hostility. We should be doing all we can to make the turn and to reach out because He has done that for us. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from Him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. I want to pray for us as a church, for you guys this morning here, those watching, listening. You know, I'm aware that this month is a big month. It's busy, there's lots going on, it's exciting. But for some of us in this room or those watching or listening, it may be that this is the first Christmas without someone that you love. Or this is the first, or this is a Christmas for some of you where, in fact, some of you are saying, this may be the last Christmas with someone that I love. Or, or maybe you're saying, will my marriage even make it another Christmas? So I know that for some of us, Christmas is a tough time. And I want to pray for you this morning, okay, before we eat. So let's pray. Father, I pray that God, now as we eat this bread, Lord, which, which represents and, and speaks of your body, Lord, and of what you've done on the cross, God, I pray for any of us who, for us, this time of year is a tough time. There will be sorrow, there'll be difficulty, there'll be regret, there'll be memories, there'll be thoughts, there'll be all of that. Lord, would you strengthen us? And Lord, into those moments, bring your peace, I pray. And now as we eat this bread, I wanna pray that we would receive the shalom of God again. Prince of Peace, would you walk into our lives? Would you step up in our boat? And would you bring peace? In Jesus' Name, I pray.